Hey, Fresh Capital listeners. In this episode, we discuss Cloudflare. Cloudflare solves two of the big issues facing the internet. One is the speed that data travels. No one likes a slow website or a YouTube video that's always buffering. The other is security. Sure, a 12-digit password is great, but what if you're a business with literally millions of visitors to your site every day? Not all of them are nice. Cloudflare solves both issues and is fast becoming one of the most essential companies for internet users that you've probably never heard of. Well, until now. Listen and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan, and as always, joining me is my good friend, Albert. Albert, how are you doing? Dan, I'm going really good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I Last night, I broke my sugar fast and I had a, a tiramisu. Um, felt awful afterwards what guilty and just why would you feel body didn't feel good it it wasn't as good as i thought it would be and so it sort of made me think well why did i break my my sugar fast for for this i I should have actually asked why you're on a sugar fast Uh, i just find i sort of operate better no sugar um sort of tunes down the peaks and valleys of of my energy levels throughout the day it also is like a bit of like a self-discipline thing where like if you control this part of your life, then you can be more disciplined in other parts, mm. like, you know, not mm-hmm. procrastinating, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Yeah. Have you seen that subreddit called Cold Showers? No, I haven't. It's, it's a very kind of similar um, ethos, which is if you take a cold shower in the morning, which a cold shower is like one of the most undesirable things to do in the morning. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it mentally prepares you for like overcoming anything in your day. And so, not I don't subscribe to the ethos of a cold shower, but you know, very mm-hmm. similar. It's like win the morning, win the day. It's all about getting a cold shower in. Yeah, I feel like I was duped into this because I was getting Thai. No, I was getting Vietnamese takeaway last night for dinner, and they were so slow and so late. They gave me the tiramisu for oh, free. Tiramisu is a classic dish from Vietnam. <laughs> um, and you know, I couldn't say no, and so I had a free tiramisu which I didn't order. And then, what do you know, it ended up in my belly. So, I, something was against <laughs> me in the world. Nice, nice. I like that. Uh, I don't know if that's a particularly good segue into the company that we're uh, talking about today, Dan, but this is a company I'm very excited about and, you know, full disclosure, I have invested previously in Cloudflare, which is the business we're talking about, uh, mm-hmm. at the IPO, uh, exited very recently and made, you know, a good return from it. Dan. You know, I'm sure you've seen Cloudflare around. If you've been on the internet recently, you know, as you enter a website, you often get rooted through Cloudflare. Do you want to just give a brief introduction as to what Cloudflare actually is? Yeah, so Cloudflare is a United States-based company. It's essentially a a software business. Um, They've got a really nice mission, which is help build a better internet. Uh, and the idea is that they're sort of like a internet security, um, internet optimization sort of cloud platform business. They have a range of services. They've got you know free software, which you and I could sign up to tomorrow and just sort of get onto some of their, their services. They've got a pro version, which is about $20 a month. A business version, which is $200 a month, and then you know an enterprise um, version, which is is by quote. So they really sort of level up uh, their services depending on how much you pay, and they can you know provide differentiated services along those sort of areas of security, safety, um, optimization of your your websites, whatever you're doing on the internet. So they're really positioned they're really positioned well for the future as more things move onto the internet we're obviously more worried about security and the optimization of those things um but albert what's your take on the business i mean is there anything else you'd add to that summary yeah it's a great great summary maybe i'll just quickly illustrate the problem 
um, which is why I love Cloudflare to begin with. If you run a website, you know, any kind of website, whether it's a big Facebook, Amazon-esque marketplace, social media website, whether it's like our website, freshcapital.media, definitely check it out. Good there's, a, there's a few things you need to do to make sure that people, when they access your website, can do so. And the first is like you want to keep load time really low. So as soon as you hit enter on that URL, you want the website to load relatively quickly, like microseconds. The reason you want that is you want to make sure that the person accessing the website isn't waiting long times because that might mean they click onto something else. It might mean they don't access your website at all. You want to make sure the website's always up so that every time someone does click on it, that it loads really quickly and it's always accessible. You don't really want your website to be down for you know, long periods of time. And even if it is down, you want to make sure that it's relatively up quickly. And you also want to make sure that your website is secure. So as every time you load into it or it's up, it prevents spammers, hackers, you know, Russian bots and things like that <laughs> from hacking your website, taking information from your database, taking information from your users, etc. So imagine like Facebook, every time you go into the Facebook website or Facebook app, it's almost always up. Like it's never not down. It never, it's never down, sorry, it's never not down. It's load time is relatively quickly. Like as soon as you click Facebook, it loads and it's generally pretty secure. Otherwise people wouldn't use it. Cloudflare takes, you know, these three things and has built a cybersecurity and performance solution to ensure that all those three things do happen. Load time is relatively low, websites always up and where the core of its business is, it keeps spammers and hackers out. And the genius of Cloudflare is that they can do this for any website of any size, you know, with very limited intervention from a coding perspective, from a software perspective, and from a hardware perspective. So they've taken something that requires like really heavy cybersecurity skills and expertise and made sure that any website of any size has that level of protection. That's a really good example, Albert. And we're going to dig into a couple of case examples with, with customers uh, a little bit later in the pod. But if we just stick on this industry overview, Albert, uh, you know, who else is in this space? Who else is looking at cybersecurity? And is it as simple as people are using the internet more and more? So this is a, a no-brainer uh, industry that's going to excel in the future? Or are there some concerns, other thinking around it? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. So, um, you know, broadly, Cloudflare started as a cybersecurity business and the majority of their, you know, services and software is cyber. They've got, you know, a few developer tools, which we'll touch upon. But you can think of cybersecurity in kind of three different segments. The first is what they call like on-premise cybersecurity. The second is point solution cybersecurity. And the third is like cloud cybersecurity. So, Dan, I know we can get really technical when you talk about cyber, cybersecurity, and particularly Cloudflare's business. So I'm mm. going to kind of step through each of these three steps. If you've got questions, please interrupt me. I am like pretty deep when it comes to cybersecurity <laughs> because of, you know, things I do for work and, and you know, just like generally reading. Um, so please, if I, I uh, have used some technical term, please interrupt me. On-premise, on-premise security uh, refers to software, hardware, or, you know, server technology that is installed at a particular site. So an example is if you're at the office and you're connected to their Wi-Fi, often you have a firewall that's built in as part of the Wi-Fi. Your laptop that's been issued from work normally has some sort of cybersecurity, whether it's like McAfee, whether it's like Windows Firewall. So that means anything that you access at work, like work files, you know, pieces of information, different websites, all your access goes through that particular server. So an example would be if you're trying to access files that are shared or on your work's hard drive, the reason you can access them is because your computer is either connected to their network or your computer's got some sort of software that's been installed on it. That means you can access that information. Does that make sense from kind of on-premise standpoint? Yeah, it does. And it does. It also, it's good that you've highlighted what some of the competitors are here because as you say, uh, a Norton 360, a McAfee, these sort of on your computer installations uh, in terms of software, 
they compete against cloud share in, in a way, even though they're completely different models. So that's your on-premises. What's next, Albert? Yeah, so the next is what they call point solutions. And this has become really popular and probably entered people's kind of lingo and daily use as we've moved to virtual work. So, you know, a really great example of a point solution is Cisco or, you know, VPN, RSA token, Citrix. How a point solution works is you log into that cybersecurity provider, such as Citrix, and then Citrix routes you into, you know, the files of the secure environment that you need to log into. So an example is if you're working from home, you're obviously not connected to your work Wi-Fi, which means you can't access the files directly because you're not on that on-premise system. You then access the files that you need to through a point, hence the name point systems, and that point is something like a Citrix login. You'll log in with your work information or whatever information you've been provided, and then through that point, you then get to access files in a particular environment that point system allows you to do. Makes sense to me, Albert. Nice, nice. I'm going to keep going. There's the last one, which is now public cloud. Now, public cloud is something we've talked about a lot in our podcast. And, you know, we've analyzed a few different cloud businesses. You know, we talked about Google Cloud with Chris from Magellan. Definitely check that episode out. We talked about Oracle and their cloud solution. Definitely check that out. So I wouldn't say we're cloud experts, Dan, but I feel like we're slowly <laughs> getting there. How cloud works is if you've got a database or some code or an application, you'll often deploy that to a particular data server. And in order to access that server, you'll use your login information, login, and then that information gives you access to that particular point. So the cybersecurity there is provided by the cloud provider, such as Google. So I'll give you an example of this, Dan. If you log into your Dropbox account, Dropbox has cybersecurity built into it so that as you log in, it provides that layer between you trying to access your files and your files through your login process, as well as their kind of encrypted network. So by mm. doing that login process, you're accessing the public cloud through their cybersecurity network. And even just uh, using Dropbox or Google as an example, I know that if I'm logging in on a new device or from an area which I haven't logged in before, they might even send me an email saying, suspicious activity on the account can you confirm that it's you as you say all of that's part of the security systems inbuilt into these public cloud products like a google like a dropbox etc exactly exactly and so when you think about each of those three things on-premise point public cloud cloudflare as a business competes against each of these three segments of cybersecurity, and it does this in a way that is super easy to use. On-premise, you need to have hardware or particular software installed at your, you know, your site, at your office, through a particular server, or install software in your machines. Through point solutions, you need to similar install software in your machines or have a little Citrix token. Some people have like Citrix apps on their phone that gives them a little passcode that you use to log in. And similarly with public cloud, you need to set up or use different data centers deploy information, log in. But all that stuff requires a bit of manual intervention, coding, additional software. What makes Cloudflare really unique is it provides a level of cybersecurity to any website without the use of any additional code, any additional software, or any additional hardware. You just need to change a tiny bit of their domain name and pay for a Cloudflare subscription. And once you've done that, you've got cybersecurity at very little effort. Yeah, so the way we talked about this before we started recording, Albert, is it's um, sort of like an overlay on top of your website, like a, a force field, a barrier which mm. comes on mm. top once you pay the subscription. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting. It sort of struck me as you were going through some of the examples. Obviously, if you're using a uh, public cloud like a Google, you're sort of restricted in that you, you have to use their file system uh, how they arrange things, how their apps and stuff work, which personally for me is probably what I like least about uh, Google Drive is like I find their folder system just so annoying to use. But because Cloudflare is like this overlay, you could have, you know, you just your traditional folder system using whatever app or whatever system you want. 
and then Cloudflare is what's providing the cybersecurity over the top. Um, so you can still use the same systems. It just sort of overlays, which when we take a step back and think about the business more generally, is such a great advantage because they can cater towards customers with all sorts of different systems and they're just overlaying over the top. They don't have to necessarily directly integrate with all those systems. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and it works really well for Cloudflare because if you're, you know, a small business owner and you've, you know, got this website that you use to sell your services or product, it means you don't need to worry about, you know, any sort of configuration. You can build the website as to where you want it. Subscribe to Cloudflare and anyone accessing your website gets to see how you've constructed it, gets to access files if you're you're doing that through Cloudflare because they're managing who goes where and how often that person goes through it. So, no, I think it's a really great business. So let's get into some of the, the detail, uh, detail, Albert. Um, I've got a couple of examples, one of which I, I think would be good for our listeners because uh, most of, of Australians would know Kathmandu. Um, it's a clothing retailer, sort of like an outdoor brand, so a lot of camping gear, clothes, winter clothes you'd buy from Kathmandu. They, they use Cloudflare and they use it particularly for some of their, um, I guess, protections for their e-commerce sites. So you can imagine that an e-commerce site, you'd have legitimate customers coming through, browsing things, looking to purchase things, but you might also have um, bots or you know, m- malicious mm. users mm. trying to hack into the website to do various things. Um, a really... I guess common um, attack is called a DDoS, which is distributed denial of service. Basically, just think of it as a bunch of automated um, bots logging on, trying to access the website. And because there's literally like thousands, millions of them, it then blocks other legitimate users from getting onto the website. So you can think of it a bit like a, a traffic jam you're trying to turn onto the highway, but there's literally just hundreds of cars strewing past. You as a legitimate buyer can't get onto the highway as well. And that affects Kathmandu because then, you know, legitimate people aren't buying on their website. Um, The problem for cybersecurity to work out is when those traffic jams are legitimate and when they're not. So like when those are bots streaming past or when it's like Kathmandu's having a, a winter sale and so they've got five to ten times higher levels of traffic than they normally would. And they've, they've used Cloudflare, Cloudflare to sort of solve that issue because the way Cloudflare works, they're able to detect these um, DDoS attacks. And one of the things which is inherent to their system is they've got distributed data centers, about 200 around the world. And what they'll essentially do is you've got thousands of these bots coming in try to access the site, they'll just distribute them out to all of their different data centers. And in that way, they're just freeing up space for legitimate users to get in, which is like a really neat way of doing it. Other ways is you can just identify essentially the drivers of these cars. And if you know that it's a malicious driver, you just knock them out uh, as well. So like different ways of doing it without getting too technical, but that's just an example of how an e-commerce site like Kathmandu uses Cloudflare to protect their business and, and do business online. Nice. That's a, that's a really cool example. But that business is always on sale. So <laughs> they probably need like some some crazy like rerouting and DDoS systems to, to ensure that the traffic that is legitimate is, is coming through. Like what you're talking about is like Cloudflare's external facing solutions. That's like a suite of products. That means anyone facing a website can access that through either security, you know, which is what you're talking about, DDoS, also includes things like firewalls and they've got something specific for like bot management because, you know, there are bots pinging different websites all the time. You know, they've also got solutions around performance, you know, particularly content delivery, optimization and routing. So when we talk about performance, an example we talked about a bit offline was, you know, you and I based in Sydney, Australia, if we want to listen to Drake's new album, we can do that through a number of different ways. You go to YouTube, Spotify, etc. If you want to listen to that, it's going to ping a data center somewhere with Drake's album and then relay that information to us. What Cloudflare can do is it can determine that we're based in Sydney and then based on its you know 200 or so data centers, 
you know, determine what is the best data center for us to be getting Drake's new album from in order to optimize how quickly that content is delivered to us. So if we do it through a data center in Sydney, it means it's pretty seamless. As soon as we click play, Drake's new album starts playing. But if we do it through, you know, a server in the US or in Europe, it'll probably take, you know, one to two seconds for that information to come from that data center to us. So Cloudflare also, you know, work out what is the best route to deliver different content, as well as how reliable is that content going to be? And every time I access it, is it always going to be online? So Cloudflare do some pretty cool things when it comes to maintaining content websites, as well as providing security around that. One thing I'll piggyback on that, which is, I guess, my, the first example is about security, and this one's more about optimization. Optimization does bring benefits to a business in terms of lower costs. So, you know, some of the examples which Cloudflare give is like a retail price for pinging your data around to different data centers. So, in that example, Albert, if you're pinging data from Australia, which is us clicking, on an app saying we want to listen to Drake's album all the way to America, assuming that's where the data is held and then back again, that might cost about $0.08 cents per gigabyte. So, you know, there's a cost involved there. Whereas if it was just pinging to the Sydney data center, that might be about $0.04. Cents. So as a business, you obviously incentivize to try and ping to the closest data center because the transaction cost is less. But if you essentially own these data centers or you hire out rent these data centers you're you're paying a higher fee there where cloudflare comes in is they've got like this alliance this distributed network of data centers and as you say they choose the best one for you to go to and they found that for some of their customers they're saving them between 7 to 27% on these transaction costs by just efficiently routing the information to the best closest place it needs to go to which means that like for every dollar you spend on cloudflare you could be saving up to like 25 cents on that dollar just on your business so it starts to like really pay for itself and it's those i think tangible examples of how cloudflare is giving you value back which separates it from just a normal security company you know a normal security company is basically saying like well trust us if it wasn't for us your business would be smashed by a bunch of hackers right now and it, there's sort of like this element of trust that you just believe what they're saying cloudflare can go one step further and say while you're signed up with us we're literally saving you 25 cents for every dollar that you spend with us which is really compelling yeah and this is a really good point to talk about as we're you know kind of been discussing there 200 and so data centers so cloudflare traditionally was a cybersecurity website security business They've now started to pivot because they've now got all these data centers. They want to leverage how they use those data centers and have recently developed what they call serverless technology through the Cloudflare's workers platform. So Dan, again, this gets pretty technical. So please like stop me if you have any questions. Normally when you want to develop a cloud application, you have to pick a data center. So I'm going to pick a data center in Australia or Europe or the US, for example and I'm going to deploy my code and my data into that data center. So everything that you build is then contained or pushed into that data center. So if you want to access it, you access it through that data center. The reason why they do this is ideally you want your data center to be as close as possible to the customer you're accessing it to. So an example is, you know, we host through Anchor, which is a Spotify business. Spotify have a data center. I, I looked this up because I was super curious. Spotify run their Australian data center through what they call um, Sydney AU East. So every data center is named by geography and then its location. You know, there's also Sydney AU South, which is in Melbourne. But for us, if we want to access information on Spotify, we do it through Sydney AU East. And the reason why we access, you know, information through that is it's just going to be the fastest way to do that. The other reason why companies do that is to compartmentalize different pieces of data. So an example is there are songs in the US that have been released on US Spotify that aren't available in Australia. And we can't access them because that information isn't contained in the Australian East database, which means 
we only get to see any information that's there. So to kind of play back to you, if you want to spin up any cloud business, cloud software, you've got to choose a data center and generally choose that where your customers are and then deploy all your information there. And your customer generally can only see information that's in that data center. Mm. Where Cloudflare is going is that they've got you know 200 or so data centers generally used for cybersecurity. They want to start leveraging that. So they've started to build what they call serverless technology for their customers, which means you can write you know, a piece of information, code, data, push it up to their wireless or wireless, their serverless platform. And then based on where the customer is located, that code then gets deployed to a particular data center. So instead of choosing a data center for your code to be deployed, it's more dynamic as if you're a customer in the US, that code then gets deployed straight into the US data center and you get to access that. If you've got a customer in Europe, it then gets deployed into Europe and you get access at that. So it means you're not having to deploy different data centers, you're just focused on writing code and you can ultimately just have that code accessed anywhere. Where this is really powerful though and where Cloudflare kind of sees where the future is going is what they call edge computing. Now, edge computing is like, again, stop me because this is getting super technical or trying, trying to make it not technical, but it is a very technical thing. Edge computing is the processing of information on the edge, as they say, or on the device that captures that information. So, you know, we talked about this offline and we've used this example before. As you drive into a shopping center, they've got little sensors that take a photo of your license plate and analyze your license plate and, you know, check like A, B, C, one, two, three, so that when you drive out, it can automatically detect this license plate's gone in at this particular time, this license plate's gone out at this particular time. And based on the time it was in the parking lot, we're going to charge them this ticket fee. Now, in order for that to happen, they get that information, they take the photo, they send it to a database somewhere else, the database processes it and then sends that information back. Edge computing is about doing the processing and the capture of information in the same place. So instead of having a photo taken, sent, and then sent back, you can take the photo, process it, and then analyze it to determine all that information you need in one location. And it really just comes down to speed. This lets you process information much faster because you're not sending it here and back. Are you, are you following Dan? I'm following along. Are you following along? Three, that three seconds I'm waiting uh, at the <laughs> exit of the shopping mall is absolutely killing me. Ew, exactly, yeah, if, exactly. If it could be a fraction of a, se- of a second, exactly. my quality of life would be so much higher. Exactly. And, you know, we're, we're in the economy now where people want things faster now. So, you know, it makes sense. And that's, a, that's kind of a really specific example. But more and more devices are becoming tech-enabled. You, know, you can buy smart fridges. You can buy smart trolleys. You can buy you know, a number of different internet-enabled devices which sends information to a server where it gets analyzed and sent back. But in a world where there's heaps of smart devices, you want that information to be analyzed straight away. So what Cloudflare have done is they've built this platform that enables edge computing because it has data centers all around the world that you can leverage. So instead of having to deploy as a business, you know, 200 data centers and a bunch of different countries, you can quickly, and it's not directly edge computing, but it's more like cloud on the edge because it's kind of in between edge and cloud. You can quickly coordinate and determine what is the closest data center to me and where my device is and how quickly can I program, analyze this information. Yeah, I mean, uh, to take it into a different context, this to me just sounds like... um, an old model of say I wanted to send T-shirts to uh, Europe or China or the United States. Um, you know, I have the choice. I could set up a warehouse in each of those locations and, and send it off there, or I could just contract with a warehousing company who maintain, own, and have these warehouses all over the world. And then when I need to go to a particular location or I want to go to a location. I, I hire them to do that for me. And so it becomes like a one-stop shop, a middle person to facilitate that. It's the same thing, just Cloudflare is for data, what warehousing is for clothes and, and goods and that sort of thing. Um, 
let's move away. Let's let's take a step off the edge, Albert, um, and let's look at the financial performance of Cloudflare. They're not profitable. Um, they've got some good revenue, so let's get some key numbers. So year to date, they're at about two hundred and ninety million dollars of revenue. Finan- full year, financial year 2020, they're about $430 million of revenue. Um, they're sitting at about minus 20% in terms of their margins. So like they're, they're nowhere close to profitability at this time. What stands out to you in terms of their financial performance, Albert? Yeah, so if we take the top line, Dan, uh, year on year, Cloudflare is growing immensely. In the past couple of years, they're growing about... 45 to 50%. You know, we always use the benchmark of like Salesforce. I know it's kind of a mature tech business. And you so. always use <laughs> Salesforce as a benchmark. I mean, it's a cash machine, but Salesforce is growing at like 20% year on year. So to contextualize that, you know, Cloudflare is a business to be, you know, doubling almost every year or close to that by growing 50%. It's, it's immense as a business. Like if you think about trying to get 50% more revenue every single year, Cloudflare is doing that. What stands out to me is how they're doing that, Dan. And, you know, you talked about in your introduction, they've got paying customers and enterprise customers as well as kind of smaller customers. The number of the enterprise customers, which they um, define as customers who are generating more than 100,000 in uh, annual revenue is growing by 67%. So all of their growth has really been propelled by enterprise customers which to me is a really cool tell because where Cloudflare began was a kind of a self-service model. If you had a website, you can just sign up to a Cloudflare subscription. And they grew their business to, you know, over 100, 200 million revenue through that model. Now they're trying to make the move into enterprise and large organizations. And by doing so, you know, they can maintain this really great base of about, you know, 300, 400 million of revenue from I'm going to say smaller customers, but the long tail of customers while also pushing forward into enterprise. And this probably means they're going to be quite unprofitable for a long time because, you know, as I've spoken about before, enterprise sales, very high touch. You've got to hire a salesperson who manages an account. Maybe it takes you six to 12 months to complete a sale because the salesperson's meeting with the key buyers and the customer organization. They're trying to get through procurement. They're trying to get through security they're trying to embed the software they're trying to get everyone trained in it so that you know sales cycles long hiring salespeople to do that is expensive because one salespeople cost a lot of money but two you know if they're managing one or two accounts you've got to hire a lot of people in order to do enterprise sales but in the long run a lot of people believe cloudflare will become profitable because once you get those enterprise customers in especially with cybersecurity it becomes really hard to change because that's kind of embedded in the DNA of your organization. Yeah, so I mean, one of the stats they they plug is they got 19% of Fortune 1000 companies uh, are part of their paying customers, which I always find funny, because when you look at numbers like that, you know that if they had a significant number of Fortune 100 companies, they'd use that instead. So I suspect a lot more of them are towards the end of the thousand yes. than closer. Yes. To, you know, otherwise, they would have said Fortune 500 companies. You know, so they're... It's a Fortune 500 to 1,000. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't roll off the um, tongue. <laughs> but, but a good example, a case example of where they've actually transitioned a customer from their free service to the enterprise is Canva, so one of Australia's um, unicorns. So I can't remember what the valuation's it's at like now. 40 bill. <laughs> It's it's a bit of a behemoth now, but they started working with Canva in 2016 just using the free um, services that Cloudflare provided, and now they've obviously scaled up to uh, a much more sophisticated offering. Um, so that's an example of how, I guess, the best case example of their price model, which is you got free, pro, business, enterprise, and you're hoping that it's a funnel really, really wide at the free uh, version, lots of people using it, and they sort of funnel down into the more expensive paying customers um, for their business. So I can see it working, but one of the things I'm looking at in terms of their long-term model, and I actually found their annual report quite helpful in in the way they describe things. I'm not sure if it's because they're very much like a technical company 
but I found that they really cut out the bullshit and gave like useful anecdotes, useful information. One of the things that they give is like a chart of their long-term financial model, essentially. And it breaks down percentages of their revenue. So sales and marketing is currently 45% of their revenue. They want that long-term to be about 27%, 29%. Research and development is currently 20% of their revenue. They want that to be around the same mark, 18 to 20%. General administrative um, costs, they want that to be, well, currently it's 16% of the revenue and they want that to be down to about 8 to 10%. So when you look at that, it becomes really clear. Their spending at research and development is where they want it to be, essentially. Their general administrative is about double where they want it to be and their sales and marketing is a bit under double where they want it to be. So those are the two points which they really need to tone down on. As you say, though, sales costs a lot. And so they're currently really heavily investing into it, which affects their profitability. The question for me, Albert, is like, when, when does it stop? Like, How big do they need to get to the stage where they can sort of self-perpetuate, where they can take back sales stuff because they've established themselves in the market so well that people are coming to them? And that's where... I see like competitive advantages maybe being a disadvantage here. If you're up against uh, a cloud provider like Google like or Microsoft Azure, they've got really easy plugins to enterprise customers because of the scale, mm. because of their brand, mm. which Cloudflare doesn't necessarily have. So I wonder is like, do they just have to keep plowing money into sales and marketing because they don't have that type of brand like these other companies this is this is a really good question around like sales go to market so if you imagine the tale where you've got fortune 1000 and then fortune 10 microsoft is already embedded in fortune 10 like you can't just send a salesperson there they're going to get eaten alive they won't know who the buyer is they don't know what the systems are like you don't have a relationship with the company even if you do do you have a relationship with the right person within the company like trying to crack that sales and that sales process with the fortune 10 fortune 20 fortune 50 business is really hard so if you go to the fortune 1000 and number a thousand probably going to slip out next year they're probably going to get overtaken by someone else and you know those businesses generally are much smaller you got less people you can easily sell to that customer so where cloudflare is playing is starting at Fortune 1000, hitting them up, hitting up 99, 998, 997, and you just keep working from the tail upwards because it's lower touch, because you don't have to deal with, you know, these mage giant enterprises. You know, you probably have a relationship. You know, there, there may not be other businesses embedded in that. So you can do that at scale. Well, not at scale, but you can do that with less touch interventions checkpoints with a customer versus you know trying to spend a lot of sales money trying to spend a headcount money on trying to win the microsofts of the world or the apples of the world or the amazons of the world that's the the first thing the second thing is a lot of those companies can afford the best cybersecurity or they can afford in-house cybersecurity and so they don't need business like cloudflare because they've already got you know shit tons of money to spend on cyber because it is one of their core competencies that they need to own to empower their business. Like Amazon aren't outsourcing or using other cybersecurity providers because they've just got such a wealth of data. Like they've in-house that. So for Cloudflare... No, but the, but the, this, is, this is highlighting the problem for me though, which is if, if as it sounds like you're suggesting that their customer base that they're targeting is the tail, I would suggest to you that inherent to targeting the tail is higher sales costs because you are sort of going after lower value customers. But that's not true for Cloudflare. And so then that, that suggests the sustainability. That's not true for Cloudflare because they've played in the tail for a number of years without any sales and marketing costs because it's self-serve. Like you can go to the Cloudflare website and sign up to Cloudflare really cheaply without any customer acquisition costs to them. So they're, they're, pushing, from they... the, they're pushing from the tail upwards. Which is why but, you but need their, salespeople. Their sales and marketing have been consistent since 2018 as essentially like 50% of their revenue. Like, so it's all well and good that they can, you can really easily sign mm, up mm. on their website. Mm. 
But for whatever reason, sales and marketing is like way higher than what it can be sustainably in the future. I'm not saying it's the wrong strategy, but like they can't sustain this and turn a profit. Like they're going to have to cut down sales at some point. Yes. So once you've hit mass, so say like if it costs you, say $10,000, maybe I'll use $100 to simplify it. $100 to acquire one customer in the Fortune 1000, say 500 to 1000. And that customer pays, you know, $50 a year. So it takes you two years to pay back the cost of that acquisition. After that, you just hope that that customer doesn't churn so that everything else they're doing is free cash flow or, you know, cash flow once you've subtracted margin. So your sales rep, after they've acquired that customer, moves on to the next customer and the next customer. And once you've got critical... exponential. Yes. Once you've got critical mass of or some sort of mass of Fortune 1000 customers, you can start to taper off your sales spend because you don't need to be hitting a thousand people up anymore. You're hitting up 50 people or 20 people or 10 people or whatever because you now you've got customers paying a subscription revenue. Now you've got customers who've been paid back in terms of the cost of acquisition and you can really focus your efforts on you know, a really senior salesperson to go after Microsoft. So then future growth, Albert, what, what do you reckon the future growth of Cloudflare is? is it in, yeah, it's a good question. So you kind of need to segment it into two. The first is their like cybersecurity offering. So it's like how much of this cyber business can realistically grow, especially like you said, Dan, like say the top 50 companies in the Fortune 1000 already have their own in-house or they have a they leverage a specialist cybersecurity firm. And so there's probably still a lot to grow because not every business is on Cloudflare from a tail perspective and from an enterprise perspective. They've shown really great traction into enterprise, so there's probably still a lot there. I think where the true growth comes from is from their serverless technology platform because as edge becomes, or com- edge computing, sorry, becomes more you know public you know more and more devices become internet enabled people want to be able to access and produce analyze information instantly and the challenge with doing that is that the environment is difficult to crack like you've got to build a platform that enables edge computing or edge cloud which a lot of businesses don't have so cloudflare is literally one of the first movers in that They've also got the expertise and the cybersecurity to do that. So if you've got data and information that's being processed on that information or on that device, that is susceptible to um, hacking. Like if you went down to the shopping center and you hacked that device because you, you, know, you just happened to be there, you've got access to it, um, you can quickly take that information that's been stored on it but because Cloudflare have, you know, their immense cybersecurity expertise, they can wrap that around their edge computing solution. So I think where Cloudflare's growth is going to come from in the future is really edge cloud. Yeah, I'm actually taking it a couple of steps back. For me, the growth is the grind. It is the grind of that customer acquisition that we were debating a little bit beforehand where it's, I don't think it's going to be particularly sexy. I don't necessarily think they're going to be getting the largest companies in the world signed up to them and that's going to you know, double, triple their revenue in a year. It's going to be a slow progression of, as you are saying, the tail. More and more users sign up. For the most part, they're going to stick with them. So then over the next couple of years, you start getting more profits in because you're not spending the same acquisition costs to get them on board. And you're just going to slowly probably upsell them with a couple of different products. Maybe they're moving from that $200 a month price point to your enterprise price point. Um, And so you're getting a little bit more out of them as a customer. To me, like the edge is is interesting, but it's like, it's not core, I think, to their growth prospects in the near term. It's very much just like, keep doing what we're doing and improving on it and improving the monetization of it. And I, I can see that in their strategy. I mean, they've got a nice little graph here going up in sort of a linear 
um, fashion. And on the left-hand side, it's got acquire new customers. Second point is expand relationships with existing customers. Third is develop new products. And last is extend our serverless platform strategy. They don't necessarily say this is like in terms of prioritization, but that's how I would put it in prioritization. I'd say acquire new customers first and then sort of move up the pipeline like that. So that's how I see them growing out in a fairly steady way. Like they don't strike me as being, they're not going to be an overnight success. It's one of those ones where it's like five years in overnight success. It's no such thing as overnight success. If you're growing 50% year on year, that is overnight success when you think about it. No, I, I, I agree. I think like for Cloudflare, like it is really key to crack the enterprise sales model for them. I know this is probably something that a lot of investors don't necessarily think about, which is, you know, how they're actually selling, who are they selling to? Because a lot of people just look at the metrics and, you know, margins are, need to increase. Do I believe that? Or profit is going to increase. Do I believe that? Or cash flow is going to increase. Do I believe that? But in order to understand how that's going to happen, it really needs to come from their sales process. And so I think like what we've done to unpick Cloudflare's sales process is something that a lot of investors, particularly tech investors, should be doing to understand will the unit economics of this business work? Because it works really well for the tail, but that's not that profitable and sexy in terms of revenue generation. Yeah, and I mean, I just ran, I just... Ran some numbers on the edge, Albert, aka in my in my head. Then um, they've got one hundred twenty six thousand paying customers. Of that, we know about one thousand have annualized revenue of over one hundred k. Less than one percent. So it's less than one percent exactly. So that's to say that one percent of their customers are in that sort of larger, what you'd presume is like enterprise size. I mean, at an annualized revenue of over one hundred k, that might not even be uh, enterprise that still just might be in that business mm. Um, mm. sort of bracket so I think you're right enterprise is the future for them but when we say future we don't mean the next well I don't mean the next year or two I see that as being like five years plus uh, along the way um, but let's get to our verdicts Albert because I know you might disagree with me what's your verdict overall great business unbelievable product Great competitive advantage. The engineers who work at Cloudflare are world class. You know, they've got the scale to be super successful. They're basically like four or five businesses in one. It's like a cybersecurity Voltron. Um, and, you know, for me, it's like if Cloudflare can crack enterprise and if they can scale their workers' platform, their serverless technology platform, like this is going to be one of the biggest businesses in the world. Yeah, I mean, actually, that's a great way to, I think, sum it up. Um, you know, if they can crack that enterprise and they can be one of the biggest businesses in the world. And at this point, I'd say it's maybe less than a coin flip that that, that occurs. I'm not bullish that they can crack that because when I look at some of the competitive advantages of their competitors, if you look at, like, say, a Cisco, um, which is servicing that more, like, um, we're talking about point systems or on-premises uh, solutions, or then you look on the other side at Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, um, Alibaba Cloud. I can see them getting squeezed into the middle, which is fine. Like you have a great business in the middle, but I don't think they're actually going to break that like huge enterprise leaders because as more of the top businesses do start putting their services, systems, whatever, onto the cloud. And we've talked about this before, Albert. The cloud is going to be Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and maybe Alibaba. Like, it to me is intuitive that they're going to wrap cybersecurity solutions around those products as well. That's a big competitive advantage. So, I think I've talked myself out of it. I think I, I was really keen on uh, Cloudflare coming in, but um, maybe we didn't spend enough time on the competitive forces at play here. But I see them perhaps not reaching their heights because of some of the competition out there. Um, and that goes into their pricing. We, we don't like to do sort of pricing analysis, but they were listed two years ago almost to the day at $18. And now they're 10x almost at, at $127. So they're, they're priced pretty highly. 
Yeah, I guess if you compare it to Google, Alibaba, AWS, and Azure, it's it's you're kind of splitting hairs between do you believe in the traditional model of cloud or do you believe in cloud on the edge? And if you're bullish and cloud on the edge, then you probably would shift towards Cloudflare because they've already got this infrastructure where Azure doesn't, Google Cloud doesn't, Amazon do through Lambda, but you know that's another discussion. And, and Lambda doesn't sit within AWS, it sits another part of um, Amazon, so it's a, a very separate business that's very small. So they've got a head start on their competitors. So that's kind of the thesis around Cloudflare is like, do you believe in cloud on the edge? And do you think that they can do it before the other businesses do and win it? And to me, yes, because they're there. And once you've got a cloud on the edge provider, it's going to be hard to switch. Which is why people don't switch cloud providers. All right, Albert, let's finish up there. Agree to disagree. <laughs> uh, I'm happy with my my return on Cloudflare. So yeah, exactly. I mean, you're winning either way in this. Uh, thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about companies and investing told in a refreshingly simple way. Try something new this week. Uh, if you you're listening to us, we know there's a lot of you who are listening to us every single week. Try mentioning us to a friend. Let someone else know. Word of mouth is the most powerful way for us to grow the podcast. So we'd really appreciate it. I would love for you to give us a shout out, whether it be on socials or just, you know, in a chat with your friends. Uh, Every shout out really helps us out. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.